Support for this episode comes from Viator. Experiences are what people love the most about travel. That's why Viator has over 300,000 bookable experiences, so there's always something for everyone. They offer everything from simple tours to extreme adventures. Plus, Viator's travel experiences have millions of real traveler reviews, so you have the information you need to book the best activities for your trip. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. One app, over 300,000 travel experiences you'll remember. Do more with Viator. Welcome to another edition of the Pride and Trait podcast, live here on the Locker Room Map, we, where, we, where we take questions from our, our listeners, viewers, whatever you want to call them, on the Locker Room Map, available now on uh, on Android in, in beta. So if you ever want to join one of these sessions, we run them on every Saturday morning, usually around 1030 Eastern. My name is Jeremy Reisman. I am the editor-in-chief at Pride of Detroit. With me, as always, for these Locker Room Q&As are two of my best friends, I'm Pride of Detroit. Uh, Ryan Matthews is with us at Ryan underscore POD. Ryan, how you doing, buddy? Reconciliation, my friend. Uh, <laughs> it's great. What a wonderful Saturday morning. I'm sorry I missed last week. I'm, I'm ready to be back and uh, talk Lions football. Yes, I'm excited to have you back. You are a welcome addition to this podcast. I'm just trying stop. to just uh, affirm you as much <laughs> as I can right now. <laughs> Uh, the other voice that you will hear shortly is uh, the managing editor over at Pride Detroit, Eric Schlitt, at Eric Schlitt on Twitter, with an with a K and an L in there for those that are trying to find him. Hey, good morning. <laughs> good morning. <laughs> All right, so uh, mini camp has wrapped up at Allen Park. There's one more week of OTAs, which will not be covered by the media, so we are kind of in the void uh, between uh, mini camp and and uh, training camp, but we are willing to ask you answer any sort of questions that you guys have. And the cool thing about this app is you can literally join the show, just like Daniel, who will be our first caller. Daniel, are you there? I'm here. Hey guys, how's it going? <laughs> Good hey, man. Hey, I'm really you know I know that they don't put on pads in the uh, OTAs, but what I'm really curious about is what what I what, what I think we're looking at are maybe the strengths of the team which is the offensive line. And I think, you know, we're still uh, a little bit unclear what's going to happen at right guard. And then how the strength of the offensive line is going to is going to play into the running game. And, and maybe we have some uh, – I gather maybe there, there are some things that the coaches have talked about that they don't really want you to talk about. But maybe you could give us an idea of uh, where things are going with uh, – might be going with the running game this year. Yeah, I mean that's that's a great question, and it's kind of the ironic, I think, ironic part about OTAs and minicamp is that's really the one thing that we don't really get to see much of. Um, and and you, we heard the offensive coordinator talk about it. We've heard the head coach talk about it. Is just like they're they're really using the running backs other than individual drills in the passing game, and and they kind of thrived at that during minicamp. But we all, I think, we all kind of agree that the strength of that offense might be the running game, and we haven't really gotten a good look at it at yet, have we, Eric? Yeah, it's just a, 
you know, speculative at this point, right? Um, yeah. We we did get a chance to look at the offensive line a little bit closer, um, but like Daniel said, without pads, it's it's hard to really ascertain exactly what you have beyond you know movement. You know, you know how are they moving? How are they engaging? Hand placements, you know, things like that. We're not actually seeing contact, and so you know, you're you're just kind of projecting and uh, you know. You know, hoping for the best. I, I now I do think uh, right guard Vitae is is very much the leader. I, you know, based on the the short little stints that we've had and looking at kind of like the, how they use the rotation at, at practices, um, it, it sure seems like Vitae has been with the ones pretty much consistently. Yeah. And with Crosby being uh, absent for OTAs, it's possible that he just hasn't got enough time to work himself into the competition yet. But um, I, I think, you know, I think they're pretty comfortable with the, with the, the starting five that, you know, we've been seeing throughout these practices. Yeah, and uh, I even asked Tyrell Crosby um, if, you know, if they had had conversations about moving him to garden it, you know, he kind of just gave me the, like, I'll do whatever they ask me, but it didn't really sound like those talks had started or progressed in, in any sort of meaningful way. And so I expect him to, to really be at that tackle position when, when we come back for training camp. It's, it's the same answer he gave three years ago when I, <laughs> yeah. when I asked him the same question, right? Yeah, he just, it, he just doesn't, they, everyone, all the coaching se- coaches seem to like him at tackle. And, you know, I think it's a valuable spot. You have something in there, Ryan? I, I heard you oh, jump in there yeah, for a second. Oh, yeah, I was just going to say, greater chance of Tyrell Crosby moving the guard or getting traded? <laughs> getting traded, I think. Uh, I don't think it's particularly close. Well, I, I, it's, what's ironic is I, I disagree. I, I think Ooh. he's a valuable piece, and while uh, I, I don't believe in the trade market, that there's a big trade market for him, and yeah. so if there's an injury that happens, I could see him slipping in at guard. The the one other thing I wanted to say about the running game is it's I feel like anytime anyone brings up the running game with Anthony Lynn, he gets very defensive about it um, because he because there's the perception out there that he's like a very run heavy offensive coordinator. And so every every single time anyone like makes a, a reference that says something like, you know, I think the lines are going to run the ball a lot this year. He, he, he makes sure to point out, like, look at my track record as a head coach. Look at my track record. Uh, well, he only had one year as an offensive coordinator, but like we threw the ball a lot. We, th- I mean, we played to our strengths. If if our if our passing game was going, we're going to pass the ball a lot. If our running game's going, we're going to run the ball a lot. It, it's going to depend on really how things shake out in camp. His his one year as an offensive coordinator in Buffalo, they led the league in rushing. The very next year, as a head coach with the Chargers, they led the okay. league in passing. Yeah, right? exactly. So like he's he's very flexible and he prides himself. Well, what do we know about um, – there, there's been a little bit of talk about how they might be using uh, D'Andre Swift and Jamal Williams a little bit in different roles, and I'm just wondering if we can kind of – if we have, we just have any kind of sense of what they're, what they're thinking and, and, you know, how this might fit into the bigger scheme. Yeah, I mean, well, he – you know, he talks about the whole, like, A-back and B-back thing where uh, they clearly view Jamal Williams as more of a between-the-tackles bruiser type guy and and deandre swift is more of a guy that they can get into open space but the, i think the thing i learned most in in uh otas and minicamp is that jamal williams catch the ball pretty well he can he can shake a little bit and he can he can work a little bit 
it, a little bit in space. And, and um, you know, Anthony Lynn said that too. He says they both got a little bit of both in them. Um, but I think, and, and I, I don't think that doesn't mean, I don't think that means that the DeAndre Swift isn't, isn't going to run between the tackles and, you know, Jamal Williams is going to get more carries or anything like that. I just think when it comes to situational downs, you know, if, in, in a third and long situation, Swift is more likely to be a target. And, you know, a third and short situation, maybe Jamal Williams is, is more likely to be the target. Not, you know, not that it'll be a primary thing, but just do you guys get a sense at all that maybe, like, Swift could be motioned out and maybe you'd see Swift play a little bit more, like, slot receiver or something like that, whereas maybe Jamal Williams is going to be more of a passing threat out of the backfield? I, I think they, they want them to be intercha- interchangeable, and that's the, the 1A, 1B kind of concept, right? When they first said 1A, 1B, I thought they were just, like, saying, hey, they're both capable of being starters, but – I believe that they're trying to make those two interchangeable so that the defense doesn't know if they're going to run or pass, regardless of which one of them is on the field. And while Jeremy said uh, there are going to be some nuances where Jamal will be better in a certain situation or Swift will be better in a certain situation, I think they're trying to make them interchangeable. Uh, And and I do think that includes being able to flex one of them or both of them uh, out into uh, slot-type positions as well as catching out of the backfield. They've really, with no contact, they've really shown that both of these guys can hurt you in space and can catch the ball pretty consistently. Yeah, and it's hard to tell from practices how often they plan on doing something like that because it's literally all they can really do right now is have them either lined up out wide or or in the backfield and and run around from there. But they did it a lot, I will say, in the past couple weeks. Um, Just not sure if that was out of necessity or, or part of their actual plans. But look at it this way. They did it so often and they were so wildly successful with it. If they don't do it, that'd be a red flag to me because yeah. this is, it, yeah. it's an, they've shown that it, it can be, it's a, a valuable asset. Right. I agree. <clears throat> All right, Daniel, appreciate the questions, man. All right. Thanks guys. All right. Let's move over to Nick is next. Nick, how you doing, man? Hey guys. How you doing? How you doing? Good, good. Good, good. Coming in from uh, satellite internet here at 4,000 feet, so we'll see uh, if it works. Um, (laughs) So far, so good. Good, good. One of the knocks on uh, Goff, uh, you know, before he got on the team was that he couldn't throw the 50-50 ball, couldn't throw into sort of contested situations and needed separation. Have your observations at all played that out? And if so, what does that mean for someone like Quintez Cephas even making the team or Sage Surratt making the team? What does it potentially mean about how Hawkinson might be used in the offense? You want to start with that one, Eric? Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, at certain points of practice, they have been focused you know, on like red zone type work and only working within like uh, a certain yard and distance. So we haven't gotten a whole lot of uh, exposure to the deep ball outside of uh, OTAs a couple weeks ago. Um, so it's hard to really, with the small sample size, say if there's any, you know, to make any sweeping judgments about the deep ball. Uh, what I can say, though, is that he has been establishing a rapport with certain players and, and Hawkinson be, being the one that he's been establishing, I'd say the most rapport with. Um, 
Hawkinson's ability to go really anywhere on the field and uh, has been a real asset for golf. And, and he's been pretty consistent about getting him open. Um, guys getting separation is definitely an advantage. And it's something that we've seen him need in game situations, but Quintus Cephas has been having a heck of a camp uh, spring camp. And so, He's very much put himself in the mix uh, for this uh, wide receiver rotation. He, I think he's probably caught more touchdown passes than any receiver that I saw. Uh, and so I, I do think C- there's a role for Cephas. And, you know, there's, there's going to be an opportunity for Hawkinson when he can't get position or when he can't get separation because these guys are good at, at you know, positioning themselves, uh, you know, like boxing out like in basketball and whatnot. So I, I do think there are some some players that, you know, aren't elite separators that are still going to be able to be worked into the offense. Yeah, and I would say from from my observations, you know, they started to do a little more one on one stuff, um, which which occasionally would mean a deep ball. And I I, I found golf to be okay. I mean, incons- I guess inconsistent would be the best word for it. And I mean, it's a deep ball; like you're you're not going to hit every throw, so not not all that surprising. The the one thing that I saw golf really thrive at, and really this was kind of true of, of all the quarterbacks, was a lot of up the seam work, especially in the final couple days of mini camp. They really seem to attack that seam a lot, especially with uh, the tight ends, um, Hawkinson being one of them. And I completely agree with you that he seems to be very focused on developing a rapport with, with Hawkinson. Um, now, when you're working the seam during minicamp and there's, there's, no, there's no contact, you know, a lot of times those are plays that get broken up by a big hit from the safety. So, you know, you can't, you can't draw too much from it, but I think it, that's maybe something to watch, you know, instead of maybe working the outsides with, with corners or with wide receivers like Marvin Jones and, and, and Kenny Galladay who can go up and get it. Um, they might try to a little more to, to, to work the middle of the field with those, uh, bigger bodied guys. Oh, cool. And, uh, I know that there were, you know, some observations that Jelani Tavai went off the Matt Patricia diet and on the Dan Campbell diet. And I'm just wondering, <laughs> yeah. uh, have you any updates on whether he's moving any better? I know there's probably just a limited sample size on that too. Yeah. I mean, you can definitely notice it out there. I mean, you can notice it in how he looks, you can notice it in how he moves. He, he's still, you know, not the, the quickest guy out there amongst the linebackers, but it's a significant difference. It, it, it's not, I don't think it's just kind of off-season hype. It's not. It's certainly not your normal like I'm in the best shape of of my life off-season talk. It's it's a significant difference. Um, and you know, I did see him uh, at least on a couple occasions really stick with DeAndre Swift a couple times, and and that's not an easy thing to do. There was a goal line drill where he he ran an angle route, and you you could hear everyone on the sideline knew knew it was coming too. Like the defense was literally screaming out Swift angle, Swift angle, and. And, uh, you know, I, I, I noticed, you know, Tavai really, really stuck with him and, and you know, forced Goff to, to look elsewhere on that play. So, you know, it, it's still very early and I'm still I'm still moderately skeptical of, of him suddenly being a, a sideline to sideline um, linebacker. But he's certainly trending in the right direction. Yeah, the thing Thank with Tavai. Yeah, I, I, the, the thing with Tavai, I was going to say, is just. Um, he's his intangibles are really what I think is going to have to separate him. He's yeah. he, no matter how much weight he actually loses, and and no matter how much faster he he gets, he's going to make 
this team on his ability to see it and read it before it happens where, you know, he's, he's not the, the lack of or light lesser athleticism isn't as, as exposed. So is the defense scheme simpler going to, you know, you think he's going to be able to understand it? Are there changes they're going to make it? So he'll be able to, uh, anticipate what's going on because i think communication was a problem or teaching was a problem with the last coaching staff well yeah simple yeah it's Go simpler ahead. no i was gonna say uh in the last system he's asked to read two two gaps and in this system he's asked to read one so right off the bat his responsibilities are, are scaled back right uh but he still is going to have some challenges to overcome but from a from a mental standpoint, I think he'll be at a better uh, advantage in, in this scheme as opposed to the last one, which asked him to do a lot more. Okay. Cool. Thank All you right, very th- much. No problem. Thanks for the question, Nick. Um, we are going to take our first break. When we come back, we'll be answering more of your questions about Lions minicamp, more about the offseason ahead, and maybe a little bit more about the Lions season ahead. So stick with us here on the Locker Room app. We'll be right back. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. And we are back with our Q&A here on the Locker Room app, answering all of your Lions-related questions. Let's get back to it, because we've got a lot of people on the line. Let's start with Tyler. Tyler, are you there? Hello? Can you guys hear me? Hey, yep. Yep. How are you doing, Tyler? Hey, I'm doing good. How are you guys doing? Good. Good. Um, So I just have a quick question. Um, I feel like every team usually takes the identity of one side of the ball. Like sometimes the offense is the identity. Sometimes the defense, um, if the team has really strong defense, uh, they kind of are the identity. So I'm kind of curious, what are the early indications on which side of the ball might be the identity for this team in 2021? Like uh, I feel like previously much, mostly because the defense was just so horrid in the last regime that the offense was kind of the identity. Um, but obviously there's a bunch of new faces on both sides of the ball. So I not really sure which side is kind of going to take that front. So just curious your guys' opinions on which side might kind of take that. Ooh, I, I, I hadn't really thought about this. So I, I like this question a lot. Ryan, do you have a, an opinion on this one to, to <clears throat> kick us off here? Yeah. I mean, I think when it comes to this idea of identity, it's, it's really predicated on talent and where is the talent. And right. I think, I think for the lions, 
the, the the talent that they have that keeps on getting talked about and referenced to, and you know Jonah Jackson said that they could be one of the best units in the NFL. It's their offensive line, right? So mm-hmm. I think that combine that with what they have in their backfield, and uh, I think you're looking at a Lions team that's going to their offensive identity um, is really going to be uh, controlling controlling the game. Um, you know their their defense <clears throat> hopefully takes a you know uh, you know hopefully takes a leap in 2021. It, won't have to take a, a sizable leap to be much better than it was a year ago. But um, I think that for the Lions, it's really going to be keeping the ball in their hands um, and, right. and trying to trying to you know keep keep the <clears throat> keep the defense off the field. So um, I, I think that's what ends up happening because even as Tyler just mentioned, the Lions hired a defensive-minded coach uh, back when they hired Matt Patricia, and it was funny during his entire tenure here the lions were only really um able to muster up anything uh when when the offense was doing good things it really wasn't the defense that was keeping them in games or or doing very much so um it it, i I think that idea of identity is really again just predicated off talent and that's where i see the the most talent kind of situated on this team right now is in their offensive line and their and their running back group you agree eric yeah i agree it's it's from a talent perspective, uh, they're farther along on offense. And, and so that'll probably be the identity. And and then, yeah, who knows what happens when the defense develops, if, if things shift. But you've got really high-energy coaches. You've got uh, on offense. You've got really, you know, on offensive-minded head coach. And so uh, everything seems to point towards the offense being the, the catalyst, at least in this first year. Yeah. It, I mean, I, I don't know if, if they're – if the identity is going to be as simple as just offense versus defense, because I mean, they also invested a lot in the de- defensive line this year, right? They, they trade for Brockers. They draft two guys on day two. Uh, they, they, they re-sign Romeo Aquara. So, I mean, it, it, you know, it, I don't know if it was intentional or not. I, I kind of don't think it was just, it's just kind of the way things worked out. I, I just feel like this team is, is working through the tre- trenches and like that, that to me feels like what their identity is going to be. It's just kind of like, the gritty, you know, hard nosed team that, that that's trying to, you know, outmuscle you. And and you know, to be fair, they're trying to get fast too, but um it just so happens this year they, they did the most work in the trenches and I think that that might be their identity, if if that makes sense. Yeah, and I think Eric brings up a good point. Like that identity is is likely to shift. Like yeah. and and it could shift. And maybe not likely is the right word, but it could shift uh just as easily. So um that's the fun of it though. True. All right. Appreciate the question, Tyler. Let's move on to our next caller. Mathis is here. What's up, Mathis? Are you there? Hello. Hey, there you are. Hello. We can hear you. Can you hear us? Yeah, I can hear you guys. Okay, cool. Yeah. um, So I guess to me, what, what do you... I'm not. I, I can't remember exactly. If you guys talked about this, but um, one of the things um, that that looks int- that's, that's kind of looking like an interesting position is is the linebacker group because um, now with Tavai, possibly he's he's lost weight and people are saying he looks better. He's looking a little bit better. Um, I think if he can show something on special teams, that has to increase the chance that he makes the 
the team. So do you guys think that how, how many, how, so I guess how many, how many linebackers do you guys think they're going to carry? And do you think, um, line, how, and how do you think that's, um, and how do you think that's going to play into the defense? Like the 50 and for the 53. Right. Um, I, w- I want to throw this one to Eric because we, because special teams was, was mentioned and, and he's a big special teamer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, look. Have you seen Tavai out there? I, I'm trying to remember if I, I've seen Tavai in any sort of specific special teams role. I, I know he's been out there. I just don't remember what exactly he's doing. Yeah, I haven't seen him as a uh, protector, and that's right. really where I've spent a lot of my focus during those special teams drills. Uh, but I do think he, there's going to be a role for him. Like, okay, here's here's the thing. When you – when we you run the players through the drills, right? Um, and we, we talked about this the other day. Uh, you don't typically have to put too much weight, like on the order of the the uh, of the players that go through the drills. Like the first guy that goes through isn't necessarily going to be the guy that makes the team, or the second guy or third guy, right? It's not like a you're putting your first line out there through these drills first, but you typically put the first guy out there that you know is going to do the drill properly as a model for the rest of of the players and. Tavai was always the first guy out there during the linebacker drills. And, and, and that holds a little bit of weight for me because sure. that tells me that the coaching staff, <clears throat> excuse me, the coaching staff trusts him to be able to do what they're trying to get done out there. Now, when they p- go out into seven on sevens, it doesn't, nec- he's not necessarily with the ones or anything right. like that, but he's typically out there with the twos. And so I do think that there's a spot for him. Uh, you know, if they're going to keep, I think the maximum off the ball linebackers they would keep is six, right? Um, and, and six is a little bit heavy, but if they kept five, I still think he would be in within that five, right? Uh, Collins yeah. and, and Anzalone seem like the top two. Uh, Tavai and Barnes seem like the next two guys. Uh, and then Reeves Maben is been in that mix. Uh, Dion Hamilton's been in that mix. Uh, but Reeves Maben is a terrific special teamer. So he probably has a little bit of an advantage over Hamilton. And then the younger guys like Beckett and Pittman haven't been bad either. I just don't think they're at the level of the other six. So uh, my guess right now is that Tavai is probably linebacker three until Derek Barnes passes him. I think, yeah, I think that's probably fair. It, it's really been interesting in camp because during seven-on-sevens, we haven't seen much of Derek Barnes since he, I, I would assume, suffered some sort of injury yeah. during maybe the first week of OTAs or, or somewhere around then, maybe even rookie minicamp. Um, Jamie Collins also hasn't played much in seven-on-seven, so we're, we've really gotten a look at a wide variety of guys, and you're right. like it, It's been Alex Anzalone is probably the most common person out there with the ones. And, and then, yeah, I would, I would say sometimes it's Tavai. Uh, I, th- I think, I, think I, I saw a little bit of, of Sean Dion Hamilton with the ones on Thursday, I want to say. Um, so they're really getting a look at everybody, and I can't say necessarily there are specific players that have stood out more than others, but um, it's going to be an interesting competition once you get down to that fourth, fifth, and sixth spot um, if, if they plan to keep that many guys out there. Yeah, looking at, back at my notes, uh, when they did their goal lines – on seven on seven, it was Anzalone and Tavai or Anzalone and uh, and um, Collins. Those were the mm-hmm. guys that typically started off the uh, seven on sevens. There you go. All right, appreciate the question, Mathis. Um, that's definitely again, I think, a position that that we're going to be giving a lot of attention once training camp rolls around. Thanks, guys. No problem. 
All right, Ryan, you're next. How's it going, Ryan? Good. How are you guys this morning? I'm doing well, thanks. <laughs> yeah, sorry, Ryan. Uh, <laughs> uh, this question's a bit off course from what's been asked previously, but I'm still curious as to what you guys think. A uh, couple months ago, Rod Wood took a question that asked him if there was any plans to redesign the jerseys for the upcoming season because I think the five years are up. And he said no, which is a logical answer since uh, we don't really have some big ticket names to sell the jersey to just common fans. So my question to you guys is, as a fan, what would you like the new design to look like? Uh, What would you keep on the current ones? What would you change? Or would you go off the board and say, go back to the old black and blue numbered jerseys? Ooh, the black jerseys have come up. I, I think I know where both of you stand on them, but I'm, I, I do want to investigate that. Um, before we get into it, just to clarify, I believe their five years is up next year. Okay. And, and, and I think Rod Wood said something like, we, we had mentioned it, but we haven't really gotten into any sort of details of, of whether we might do that. But, but yeah, um, th- I, like, I, I, like this, this, I like the off-course questions here. So uh, we'll go to you, Ryan. What, what's your take on the Lions' current jerseys and, and maybe an ideal jersey for them? Okay, so this might be an unpopular take because black is a very popular color amongst Lions fans, but black is not one of the Lions' colors. Mm-hmm. Like that, that, that was a Matt Millen thing, um, which – you know, Raiders roots, I get it. Um, and <laughs> I don't know. There, there was kind of that phase where, like, every team had an alternate black jersey, right? Like, yeah. Like, like in every sport. So, it, yeah, I, I get it. But if the Lions are going to do anything, go back to go back to your Honolulu blue and silver. Not the gray. Not not the gray track suit that they wear for their alternate uniforms. <laughs> but, like, actual silver. Um, and, you know, blue silver and white like they're they're classic iconic colors just go back to some scheme like that and for god's sakes make the make the numbers visible (laughs) yes put a black trim around them or something like if you if you want to put black in the jersey put it on the trim of the numbers that's where i'm at yeah absolutely and the one other the one other thing that i would be pleading for is obviously um white tops with blue bottoms it's the best look Eric, that uh, you you ran a, a a campaign over at Lionswear saying those were unlucky jersey combinations. What do you have to say about that? I think the last regime was unlucky. <laughs> yeah, I, I wrote a I wrote I don't want to say it was a satire article, but it kind of was a satire article. Yeah, um, yeah. Basically, yeah, there was a um, there was a series of games where they had like four or five games in a row where they wore the blue pants that they just like got smoked or had or like got they had like bad luck at the end. And um, yeah, so I wrote an article that was like, please just burn the blue pants. And um, and I had I had I had I had looked into it because I talked to the uh, one of the. I talked to somebody in the building that had said that the, the team had noticed that, and that's what got me kind of researching down the the, the field on it. Um, I don't really have an issue. Um, <laughs> I, I think it's a fun joke, um, but yeah. honestly, like I, I'm just not a big Jersey guy, so I, I can't weigh in really on this a whole lot. I, I'm I, I like, yeah. Oh, I know. I, I it's it's just one of those things that I, I, I've, it matters so. I can't much, take Eric. a side. 
<laughs> I, there's something. I mean, look, I get it. People love it. There's a lot of there's a lot of aspects of football that so many people love that I could just be I could care less, and I'll take the ribbing for it. I don't care. It's all right. Do you do you own a Lions jersey? Yeah. Um, I, I, oh, sorry. Go ahead, Ryan. Ryan, <laughs> you answer that. It's more important what you say. Yeah, I own uh, the era when they had uh, Sue, the, the one uh-huh. where they redesigned all the fonts. I yeah. did did hunker down and i bought that black one uh with the blue numbers that they never wore where <laughs> earmuffs oh, the, 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 ones? Yeah, <laughs> nice. the yeah. ones that they never never got to so uh yeah i was just curious to hear what you guys had to say uh, i'm 100 percent on ryan's side uh, i think going back to the lighter colors uh where the numbers are actually legible from yeah. watching tv um I did see a picture of Barry Sanders wearing uh, those jerseys, and they had the cage that was blue as well. I know they have the gray right now. Right. So I'm wondering, do you think they would ever go back to that or just uh, throw that to the side? That's an interesting question. I, I guess I've never really considered the, the face mask color all that much, but I don't know. Ryan, Ryan, do you have an opinion on face mask color? I guess I don't really have an opinion on face mask color. I, I feel like this is kind of where I draw the line. Um, uh, but a bit tacky. I don't know. I mean, I whatever. It's fine. Just win some football games, like you know what I mean. But uh, I, I will say the the one other thing that I would just. I mean, let's just lean all the way into it. Can we bring back the circus font? The circus font is incredible. Like modernize it in a way. Modernize it, but it's so fun. I do. I did like the circus font. It, I, I remember I used to have bed sheets that had like. Every team name, every team helmet, and the the team font on it, and I just I fell in love with that circus font. It's so it's weird though, right? Like I don't I don't know how you make that modern. It by by its own admission, it's it's old school, right? Like cir- circuses don't even exist anymore. Wait, Lions, <laughs> we're playing a football game. <laughs> Right. That's a that's a deep joke. <laughs> <laughs> All right, this, appreciate the question, Ryan. I think we this took a little the rails. off the rails. I'm so but... sorry. Yeah. Thank you. All right, thanks, fellas. Appreciate it. Thanks, man. All right, let's move on to our next caller. CJ is on the line. CJ, how you doing? Hey, hey, can you hear me? Yep, loud and clear. Hey, question for you guys. Uh, first one is uh, regards to the running back room. Or not the running back, uh, the tight end room. Uh, I know past Hawkinson. I was wondering if you had any uh, observations regarding that. Um, and then also for training camp, um, what's the capacity going to look like or if they're going to allow fans, if you guys uh, have any insight on that as well? Uh, sure. Let, let's start with the tight end question. Um, Eric, do you, do you have a guy that stood out to you other than uh, Hawkinson there? Yeah, Fels is the clear number two, right? Yep. Um, yep. You know, he he's – talking about how his value as a blocker can help free Hawkinson up even more. And then going on to talk about helping him with his touch on celebrations and whatnot, right? Like Fels yeah. is, Fels is your ideal number two. He's comfortable in that role and he should be really good in that role. Uh, the, the three though, that was the real question. And I think, Coming out of spring ball, the leader in the clubhouse has to be Elise Mack. Uh, he's the guy that has consistently shown up as that third guy. And um, could one of the other guys step up? Sure. Um, you know, they're still kind of looking for that uh, Josh Hill replacement, right? You yeah. know, a guy who can be a hybrid uh, tight end slash run fullback. But 
if Cabinda's making this team uh, and his special teams stand out and there's a role for him, then maybe, you know, you don't need a guy like Hill and then you take a more traditional guy like, like Mac. But um, I, I still think it's up in the air. Mac seems to be the leader in the clubhouse though. Yeah, I'm with you. And, and really I saw all these guys make plays. Um, I'm trying to think yeah, Haw- Jake Hossman, number 40. I saw him a lot out there and, and some good, some bad. But I think that I mean the one part about tight end that we don't really know about yet is is the blocking, right? And that's that's going to be key because yeah. they they need someone. I mean they they know Darren Fels can do it. They know that's they. I mean he basically said that's going to be his role as you as you said like that's his role. But with no contact, who who's who else fits that category? And I don't I don't think there's anyone else really on the team that has proved that they can do that consistently. A bunch of young guys haven't really had that opportunity. And, and usually in college, you, you're not really asked to do that as much. So, um, yeah, I don't know. Do you have do you have a feeling on one of these guys that, that might be able to be that kind of two-way player or maybe even just more of a blocker? Yeah, I think, I mean, as far as like a, a full, like a, like your traditional fullback, like out of the backfield by, Type blocker, Kabinda is the guy, and and I think right. Fells is the most natural of the tight end blockers. Right. Uh, the other guys, it, I do think it's too early, just because we really haven't been able to see it. Um, Hausman, I think, can be a two way player, which could uh, help him. You know, I think Wright is athletic enough to be that, but is he? I I, I don't know. Um, the other guys, they're all kind of flyers right now because. Yeah. If one of them shows up and they have that ability, that, then great. You know, I, you know, Houseman is wearing forty for a reason. You know what I mean? It's not just because they ran out of eighties. They gave him forty <laughs> because he's a guy who could be that type of you know hybrid player. And I and I think right now, if Mac was going to be challenged, uh, I agree with you. Houseman is probably the the next closest guy. All right, appreciate the question, CJ. Um, we are going to take our next break. When we come back, we're going to answer more of your Lions questions as we close out our locker room session right here on, on the Locker Room app. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. And we are back for segment three of our Lions Q&A session here on the Locker Room app answering all of your Lions questions all through the offseason. Uh, let's move on to our next caller. We've got Tom on the line. Tom, how you doing? Are you there, Tom? There you are. Can you hear us, Tom? Oh, he left. <laughs> all hey, right. Can I, can I pause you for a second? Uh, yes. CJ, CJ had a second part to his question that we oh, I'm uh, sorry. didn't answer. Uh, he asked about training camp. Um, oh, that's right. From what we gather, um, fans are most likely going to be allowed at training camp. And uh, I don't think it's been made official yet, but the plan is just like the Ford Fields is ex- expected to be open at full capacity. I believe it's the same with training camp. 
Yeah. Um, usually I think we get that announcement towards late June, at least in terms of dates and things like that. Um, nothing at this point, nothing has been released publicly in terms of dates or, or openness or anything like that. But I, I do get the sense from the, the feeling around camp and, and from, you know, basically what we've heard, um, that things are, are certainly trending in that direction. All right. Uh, let's hit up Dom. Dom is on the line. Dom, are you there? Yep. Can you guys hear me? Yep. Loud and clear, man. Awesome. So um, let me start off just by saying I'm uh, obviously drinking the Kool-Aid. Um, <laughs> I love the new coaching staff, and uh, I think the rest of the division is actually a lot worse than uh, – or a lot closer to us than uh, we may have been saying. Um, I think Aaron Rodgers leaving the division is obviously the biggest thing. Um, but I, I don't think the Vikings' defense got a lot better um, – their O-line got worse, and uh, Delvin Cook, he is their offense. And last year was the first year he stayed healthy. So the Bears, I'm kind of just hoping that uh, Justin Fields sucks. Um, <laughs> Allen Robinson's the man, but outside of them, I don't think their offense is really much better. Um, and our coaching staff seemed to think that uh, a lot of our team just played like slow and looked out of place last year. So. I don't know. I'm just thinking we're a lot closer just based on the rest of the division. Not so much us, but if we're in a bad division, kind of like the NFC East last year or the NFC South was, you know, six, seven years ago, how soon is it until we're an actual competitor within our division? That's that's a good question. I mean, we a couple weeks ago, we, we all had a, a nice argument for each team potentially being the leader in the in the clubhouse for the NFC North this year if Aaron Rodgers gets traded. Um, I, but, but yeah, when when can we talk about the Lions being a contender? Because that was the one team that we said probably wasn't going to contend for the division this year. But how soon could the Lions contend for the NFC North? Uh, let's start with you, Ryan. It, it seems like the answer should be next year, right? Like, could just, with the, way, just the way, with the way that football kind of just – just the parody, I think. I think you see so many teams that go from from worst to contending in their division. Like I think that it's I think that it's plausible. Um, and uh, by the way, like Dalvin Cook being the the Vikings' only offense, Justin Jefferson in his eighty eight catches and fourteen hundred <laughs> yards would like a would like a word with you, sir. <laughs> or, my bad. Yeah, um, yeah but uh, yeah, I, I I think I'm with you. Like you know if if, if I hate saying it because I feel like the more that we talk about it, the less that it's likely to happen. But like if, if Rogers does leave the division, um, it really opens things up. I think, I think at that point you can really say that like any team, you know, depending on the wackiness of the season, 17 game schedule. I mean, let, let's just kind of see, let's kind of see what happens. Um, but I, I think as far as a realistic timeline, like, you know, big things happen this off season. You know, trading your franchise quarterback is is a is a big thing to do, and I don't know. Like I I, I, I maybe I'm drinking a little bit of the Kool Aid, saying that they could be contenders by next season. What do you guys think? I'm gonna um, go back to the terrific series from Justin Rogers in his interview with um, Brad Holmes, and they talked about the fact that 
the of using the word retool versus rebuild. And Holmes insisted on using the word retool because he said, if you're rebuilding, you're not planning on being a winner now, and we're trying to be a winner now, right? And, and I do think that that speaks to the fact that they think they can be competitive this year while they are rebuilding or retooling the roster. And so next year, I think, is, is very plausible. And, um, and I think they think that as well. They think that you know, if, if, if they were just going to blow the whole thing up, which they kind of did, um, you know, maybe they'd be more, more apt to say it's a, a rebuild. But the, the word choice and, and, the, and the way that Brad Holmes explained why he's picking that word choice speaks to the fact that they want to be competitive now and they're expecting to be. And, and they don't think they think it's going to be sooner rather than later that they are going to be, you know, in, in the mix and things. And so. In the NFL, I, I tend to agree with him that, you know, it doesn't take much for teams to, you know, turn things around quickly. It, you know, we've said this in, in prior podcasts that the separation between the best team and the worst team isn't as great as we think it's, you know, uh, in the NFL because there's just such good parity. So, yeah, next year I'm with you, Ryan. I think next year is plausible for sure. I I actually think I'm I'm with you guys as well, and and not to to drum Justin Rogers horn, you know, drum too much. Uh, but the the thing I've seen him compare the Lions a lot of times to the Dolphins two years ago when they went through that huge kind of rebuild. They they traded a bunch of their players and built up draft capital, and we all thought they were going to go zero and sixteen that one season, right? Like they started off zero and seven or something. They were really really bad. Then they go on and and you know they win like six out of the last eight games or something like that. Like they go on a nice streak. And then what happens next year? They go 10 and six. Like they, they did, they end up still missing out on the playoffs, but they went 10 and six. Like they were contenders in their own division that year. And, and yeah, I think I, that's, that's to me what I'm really going to be looking for this season. And, and fans are going to hate it if it happens in, in a similar fashion, right? Like if, if they see this team go and seven, like, There'll be a little bit of frustration, but I think there might be more excitement that's like, oh, we're about to get another top five pick. And then they go off and rattle a bunch of wins. That would make them mad. But to me, that that would be extremely pom- promising if we see that improvement as the season goes on. And, you know, the, the schedule does lighten up a little bit in the second half as well. So it might kind of naturally go that way anyways. But if there's improvement towards the end of last year and this team is competing against good teams maybe even beating a couple good teams then yeah i really i i'm with you guys i I think we could really see that turnaround happen in in just a season and and i know it was four years ago but uh to to eric's point about you know kind of the the roster turnover um you know the comment that darren fells made about like the players that are still on the team from that 2017 team there's only three of them Mm-hmm. Um, and two of them are primary, primarily special teamers in, in Jalen, Jalen Reeves, Mabin, and uh, and the Mule. So it's uh, th- there's a lot of changeover, and uh, Brad Holmes really, really scorched earth in, in a similar fashion as to. Uh, I mean, if you want to take a look at the Pistons, like Troy Weaver came in as their general manager and just changed everything. So, but yeah, I'm guys, I'm excited for football. <laughs> guys are killing me i honestly i expected you guys to like pour out some of the kool-aid for me because i'm all amped up i'm down hey. in florida and i'm always defending my lions against all my buddies and Fox fans and all that so this isn't helping but seriously like i think i think we have a shot i think we're closer than uh than, than it made it look this is it's exciting i'm excited for next year you know 
Yeah, I mean, listen, it's it's June. If if we're not drinking the Kool Aid now, when do we ever get to have some Kool Aid? Fair, it's a good point. <laughs> All right, Dom, appreciate the question. Sorry, we weren't able Thanks, to guys. throw a, a wet blanket job. on you there. <laughs> Thank you, appreciate that. Uh, let's go to Leo next. Leo, are you there? Hey, yeah, I'm here, guys. Can you guys hear me? All right. Yep. Hey guys, uh, I haven't heard anybody really talk about uh, Penasini, and I'm a big Penasini guy. Oh, uh, we're having breakfast <laughs> here at our household. <laughs> no uh, worries. Yeah, so um, I, I just want to hear a little bit about Penasini. I think he is a, a, a strong piece, uh, whether or not you know he has the athleticism or not. I just think that that guy has developed from six-round pick to, you know, uh, to going through two guys, it seems like every single week. So, uh, just any updates there uh, from what you guys have seen, and um, how do you see him kind of being incorporated into the uh, defense? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's. I'm not going to lie; it, it's tough to say really anything meaningful from minicamp since there's no contact, and you know that that, that is maybe the most contact-driven position on on the team. Um, but obviously the, the drafting of Ali McNeil complicates things for him. So I'm curious as to what you guys think. Uh, we'll start with you, Eric. What do you, do you think Penasini, I mean, is there a role for him this year? Do, do the Lions keep up a, a, keep a, a backup nose tackle? Yeah, I think they do. Yeah. Um, I, I, I think when you are looking at this, uh, scheme, both on offense and defense, you, you're going to need guys that can play more than one spot or you're going to need more than one player at each of the spots as well. So um, while Penasini's role, I think, will be scaled back from what it was in, in, the, in the last year, I think he was more like pushed into action because of injuries and, and I, there's potential there. But yeah, I think McNeil's going to be the first, you know, nose tackle off the bench. And then, but Penasini will have an opportunity to get in. If, if they're going to keep you know, six down defensive linemen. Um, I, I do think he's one of those six. Do you feel the uh, same way, Ryan? Yeah, I, I, I agree. And, you know, <clears throat> Eric makes a good point about, you know, Penasini getting, uh, you know, kind of pushed into the lineup due to injuries and things like that. But even with, with that, with Sanding, um, one of my favorite things that I saw about Penasini that came across the timeline was from the uh, – Pro Football Focus Lions Twitter account, and uh, it mentioned you know most defensive snaps played by uh, rookie defensive interiors in 2020. John Penasini was second, only behind mm. Derek Brown from Carolina. Um, wow. Played more defensive, played more snaps than Javon Kinlaw. Played more snaps than Raquan Davis. Um, I, I think he's a guy who has. I think he has a future with the Lions, and I, I think that he's one of those uh, promising young pieces that that the Lions have uh, in the fold. Yeah, he played some three technique last year too, which is going to help him in this scheme in order to be, you know, positionally versatile when they're not using a nose tackle. He can still spot, you know, some some uh, uh, snaps at a different position as well. So, look, if you if McNeil goes down, what's your game plan for for the nose? Are you is it Nick Williams? Because you can't move Brockers. You're not going to move Levi. It's not it's not going to be Hand or Kevin Strong or Cornell like. You you need a you nose because it's a valuable catalyst in this defense. And McNeil, if he if he isn't as unable to play, you need a guy like Penasini on this roster. 
I also think the the other thing is is that he he allows them to um, go down into their forty front because I think McNeil you can um, you could kind of you know you could put them yes at the one or at the zero but you can move them to the three you can move uh, Brockers you know it, because there's so much versatility now on on the defensive line where you're still going to kind of need somebody kind of you know shade the uh, uh, the center and and I just think that I just think that he's a he's a bigger piece than what than what maybe it feels like that's out there. Yeah, I mean he's quite literally uh, a bigger piece, and and yeah, I think probably theoretically, metaphorically as well. I think uh, I think a lot of that stuff might be cleared up in the first couple weeks of training camp when the guys put the pads on and, and we see them you know actually hit each other and, and, and see maybe some of the formations because you also realize like. They're not doing any team activities. We're not really seeing them line up even because seven on sevens, those are the guys that are off the field. But um, definitely, again, something that we'll be looking forward to uh, when camp starts in, in a little bit over a month. Uh, thanks for the question, Leo. Appreciate you joining the show. Um, running kind of, we're, we're going to try to run through these last five guys as, as quick as possible because we're running up against it. So uh, let's bring on Nathan. Nathan, welcome back to the show. Are you there, Nathan? There you are. Maybe? Yeah, can you hear me? Nate, D-O-double-G. Hey, what's up, y'all? Happy Saturday. <laughs> Happy Saturday uh, to you. I got a question for you. Hopefully, y'all don't have the same answers because it's going to be disappointing if you do. <laughs> okay. So, I'm going to ask y'all to channel your inner MCDC going into uh, training camp. What is your number one position battle and why? Ooh. Who wants to start? Who's got a good one? I'll go. It's got it's got to be it's got to be CB1, right? I, I think I yeah. think that's the most or two I, I, or two. Or Just two. like who's I, the two? Yeah, who's who's the starting two? Yeah, who's the guy on the left, who's the guy on the right? Um but yeah, it's I, I think I think I think there is probably the most interesting camp battle that I'm I'm looking forward to. Um yeah. Yeah, I'll, I'll take the other uh uh, defensive secondary uh, battle and say Marlowe versus Harris. It's been mm-hmm. Harris uh, getting the snaps with the ones, but Marlowe's the guy with the most experience. And um, I still think there's, there's a role for him, even if it's just like when they go to the three safeties on the field. So uh, the, the strong safety battle who starts next to Tracy Walker, that I think is going to be uh, very interesting. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like all the interesting battles are happening on defense because the only ones I'm thinking on the offensive side of the ball is like maybe slot receiver, maybe depth beyond that at receiver, maybe. I mean, if if you want some backup quarterback back talk, there might be a backup quarterback <laughs> camp battle, Ooh. but um, not not my cup of tea in particular. I, I I would say you know linebacker. We we mentioned it earlier. Who who are going to be those off ball guys? I think. During camp, it was mostly Enzalone and, and Jamie Collins, but um, is it possible we see someone? How how quick do we see Derek Barnes? You know, get meaningful reps with with the first or second team. Um, all those things are are interesting to me, and and then obviously the Jelani Tavai wild card is is in there as well. I, I would assume it's probably Anzalone's and, and, and Collins' job to, to keep, and my guess is they they do keep it, but I wouldn't be completely surprised to see see one of those guys kind of overtake him. So, so mine would be right guard. Who's going to win the right guard spot? Yeah, I think it's open. 
It might be. I just, I don't know. I feel like fans think it, think it might be more open than it is. I, I, I don't think they have an issue with Vitae. But again, like, I can't say I've seen anything in particular at, at, at um, OTAs or minicamp because, again, no contact. So I can't say, wow, Vitae's looked really good and comfortable. Like, we'll, we'll have to wait and see on that. But I guess, I guess with the way they were using the reps makes me think Vitae's pretty safe. But may, maybe I'm wrong. No, I think he's safe too. I'm with you. I, 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 when we got a chance to look, you know, at, at the drills, like he was with those starters, he was walking with those starters, like those, those starters tend to move as a pact, right? Right. Because, and, and he was always moving with that pact and, um, you know, his movement looked good. He looked healthy. And, and I, I think the coaches are, are a lot more comfortable than, than most people who's, think. Who's behind Vitae? If, exactly. If was... <laughs> <laughs> Again, maybe yeah. that's the battle we should be looking at. Who's going to be back at about the Vitae? Because we know that dude probably will get hurt at some point in the season. I hate to say it. Well, Crosby, Nelson, Stenberg, those are your guys that are uh, probably your next up. I think Kramer's a little bit further down the pecking order. Yeah, then the the one thing I, I would just add to the conversation is offensive line. That that's kind of the position where you want those guys in where they're going to be as soon as possible, right? You want to develop that yeah. chemistry as early in the off season as possible. And you really don't see a lot of movement. I think last year was definitely a, a bit of a uh an oddity in that, you know, injuries and, and all sorts of moving pieces had to happen right at the end of training camp. And, and it caused us to even go into the regular season and be like, where is everyone going to play? That's not usually what you're trying to do with the offensive line. And I think the Lions are, are, are not set with their top five, but pretty comfortable with where it's at right now. In the drills that we witnessed, uh, I took notes on who was lining up next to who. Mm-hmm. Every time the starters lined up, it was the exact same guys at the exact same spots. The only guys they showed movement with were the reserves. Yeah, there you go. Awesome. Well, well, thanks, guys. Good no work problem. as always. And, um, yeah, we'll, we'll talk to you on next Saturday. All right. Sounds good, Nathan. Uh, let's keep going with Dan. Dan is on the show. How are you doing, Dan? I'm good. I'm good. You can hear me okay, yeah? Yep. Okay. No pauses this time, thank God. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, wanted, I wanted to ask you about um, – about the wide receivers, because it's interesting. I was reading a few things, even a few, uh, I think it was Jeff Risden did his uh, comments about the uh, uh, OTAs and, and stuff. And it's interesting because we, we're sort of having to, like, Goff going to, uh, Stafford going to Goff, it seems like we're losing a bit of that panache and long, long, longer throws and stuff like that. And it seems to me that our wide receivers are sort of, they're very different, aren't they? You know, we have the two with speed, but I was hearing a little bit that maybe Perriman isn't. Uh, clicking as well, but you know, obviously early days. But it seems that almost like when we're going through the draft and talking about Kyle Pitts, we we're, it's like catchers. We're not talking about wide receivers. We're talking about our catchers because we've got the two running backs, we've got the tight end. And mm-hmm. So I'm just curious about what you, how many wide receivers do you think will make the 53? Thanks. Um, I, well, I know Ryan paid attention to that question because you mentioned Kyle Pitts. So let's let's go to Ryan first. <laughs> <laughs> Kyle Pitts, my favorite player, uh, who is not a Detroit Lion. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think I, I think that you really have to see training camp play out, right? Like, I, I think that Dan, you 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 mentioned it. You know, Perryman maybe not clicking the way that um, fans would would be hopeful that he would be clicking right from the jump. But um, yeah, I 
I don't know. I, I, I'm really interested in Tyrell Williams. I, I think that what we've seen out of him over the course of his career um, has been a, 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 a very productive receiver. So I think that him getting an opportunity to be a true number one and coming here in Detroit, um, which I, I think I think everybody's really quick to say, you know, Hawkinson's going to lead the team in targets and receptions, and uh, you know he's going to catch a bunch of touchdown passes, and he's going to be Goff's favorite target. And you know, while a lot of that may be true, I, I think that a lot of people are kind of overlooking Tyrell Williams, and um, and I think it's it's kind of easy, low hanging fruit for a lot of media to to kind of take pot shots at the Lions wide receiver room just because there is so much changeover and, and, and whatnot. And um, I, I'm, I'm just, I'm just in on Tyrell Williams. I don't know. What do you, where, where are you guys stand on him? I, I like Tyrell Williams. I, I mean, he, you saw it in some of the pictures that came out of, out of minicamp this week. Like that guy can go up and get it. And I, I I kind of concur with with some of the other things that are being said about Brashad Perriman. I just I just didn't see it out of him um, in the past couple of weeks. But I saw flashes of Tyra Williams, not a ton, um, but but flashes. And part of that is, I mean, the Lions did a lot of goal line work over these past two weeks, past three weeks, and that's just not his specialty. That's not, not what he's going to make his money. Right. Yeah. yeah, and so it, it's it's tough to be completely judgmental of, I guess, you know, how quiet both guys really were, but um, I, I do like him. To me, and, and maybe this goes back to the camp battle question, um, I think one of the more fascinating kind of questions of, of who's going to win out of spot is with the, the kick returner spot, because Khalif Raymond and and uh, Victor Bolden are probably your, your one and two in, in going into training camp, and we heard a lot about Victor Bolden this week, right? And and for good reason. The guy was making some acrobatic catches. The guy's quick. He he he's creating a little bit of separation there. But Khalif Raymond has consistently gotten those kind of first first team special teams reps, which makes me think maybe they still believe he's he's the guy to beat. And so, um, yeah, I, I don't know. Like, I, I in terms of if we're talking about fifty three man roster, you know, there's at least three or four guys that are that are locks, right? You you've got. You've got Tyrell, you've got Perriman, you've got Amonra, and then you you probably have Quintus Cephas. Maybe I, I guess I would put him in there for four. And now, now what are we talking about? Five is is probably either Khalif or, or Victor. I I can't imagine they they pick both. But then, like, I don't. The, we, I was having this conversation the other day. Who 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 backs up the outside guys? Who are those outside receiver? depth guys and i don't know if there's really one that stood out to me during during minicamp what about you eric uh yeah so i want to uh w- mention with perryman he was the one that showed up first in otas uh, when tyrell williams wasn't uh williams showed up more in minicamp but perryman really was showing up in otas but like you said uh w- that was when they were doing seven on sevens with more open field and, right. and that's more into his skill set uh i i agree with you that that perryman and williams and, and are, are locked in on the outside st brown is your your slot uh they're probably going to want a shifty slot 
as well, which means that's the Raymond Bolden battle. I agree with you that Cephas is well ahead uh, as like that big slot option who can also play on the outside. Cephas, Allison, Serrata, all those guys. And I think Cephas is also in there. So I'm agreeing with you on those first five. Uh, those all make sense. Uh, Radley seemed to be the guy that was learning the most, and, and I would put him ahead. But it wouldn't surprise me to see uh, UDFA Jonathan Adams challenge him for that spot as well. I think he's the one that's had the best uh, you know, reps on special teams. He's shown a little bit of, uh, you know, a good value in the seven on sevens with the, with the kind of back end reserves more than the other UDFAs, in my opinion. So, you know, the Radley Adams battle, the Raymond Bolden battle, those seem like those are going to be the hot ones for um, rounding out the wide receiver room. And we, and we know Damian Ratley had at least one first team rep in walkthroughs because he bumped noggins with, with Jeff Okuda. Right. So maybe that's a good right. sign. <laughs> he also had that touchdown pass right in front of us on uh, Tuesday True. where he almost, yeah. uh, you know, five feet over to his right and he would have run us over. It was a True. nice touchdown. <laughs> <laughs> well, All right, Dan. Thanks very much. Um, there's, there's some other football going on in the world over in, in Europe, actually. Uh, Denver and <laughs> Vikings are going to fight in about half an hour. So I, I want to thank you guys and hope you guys have a very great weekend. Cheers. Thanks. Appreciate that, Dan. All right, I'm going to tell you guys what you're going to do. We're going to wrap up the podcast right now uh, as we, we're well over the hour mark. But if you're here live on the locker room app, we'll, we'll do a tiny bit of overtime. I actually have a, a pretty tight schedule here, so uh, we're, we're going to get out of here as quick as possible. But if you're listening on the podcast, we appreciate you. Thank you for joining us. If you want to join us live ne- next time, make sure you download the locker room app. But until next time, it's chaos. Be kind. <laughs>